as they say there is never a dull day in malaysian politics so a lot of things have happened since the last time we had a session khairi jamaluddin has been expelled from amno amno decided that it's not going to have a contest for the top two positions in the elections and of course nurul iza was appointed as the advisor uh the economic financial advisor and later on she said she uh stepped down from that position but she's still an advisor in the ministry of finance so a lot of things have have been going on in malaysian politics so we will be discussing them today welcome everyone episode 55 of tetari with walid with professor meredith wise she is the right person to discuss this she is one of the top political scientists in the world she's based in new york at the U- university at albany and she has published a lot you can just google her and you you'll know what i mean especially her work uh, her latest work one one of her latest works uh, which is one of my favorite i assigned this in my class uh, it's a book entitled the roots of resilience party machines and grassroots politics in singapore and malaysia okay it's okay. good how are you okay okay, okay. Uh, is it Is it 9 a.m. in New York? I'm just Oh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for doing this at this ungodly hour for you. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Yes. I'm happy that we <laughs> managed trying, to do it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much Meredith. So I I introduced you already. So let's get to it right. So I think one of the major things that have happened recently you know i mean in malaysian politics there's always something major is hairi's expulsion from his party is which was it it seemed like it was coming but it was coming since a long time ago right so what what happened there and if if hairi whom i think you know personally or you've you've interacted with him before if if he asked you for advice what would you tell <laughs> If he asked me for advice, for advice, <laughs> I'd probably fall down flat and shot. But um, so I, 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 I have interacted with him. I wouldn't consider him, right, or he right. wouldn't consider me a close friend. Just to be clear. But um, so I, I actually think it was he was not not just pushing back, but he was really cocky about it, which is not at all out of character. You know, he's he is more of a risk taker than many in Malaysian politics in the sense that he's very much put his own. desire to move ahead quickly ahead the nor- of the norms of the party and the norms of political contestation in Malaysia and that was so absolutely obvious i mean it's never been far below the surface but it was so obvious in his campaign promises to be the next pm which i assumed and actually was fortunate to have the opportunity to ask him about this where i was shocked at the answer i assumed that that was a coordinated strategy among the sort of young turks of amno you know the the youth gang and so forth who wanted to start a new direction with kyrie at their head but no he said it was just a spontaneous decision on his own part and he just hoped people would go along with it and of course i was thinking at the time i don't mm. think amno is really game to go along with that sort of thing if he hadn't worked up so i think that that was really the issue um that this hadn't been so much a coordinated effort as a solo one and amno just tends not to reward that level of individual initiative especially when somebody else which is inevitably the case is threatened by it so in that sense what i would advise now is he's been very consistent in proclaiming that he is still fully on board with amno even if they've kicked him off the boat and so i would say he needs to find a new party he is correct in saying that 
starting a new party right. is probably a non, not a useful strategy. You know, that it's just the system isn't designed to accommodate that. He'd be wrapped into a coalition anyway. He would be in the same position right. that um, Said Sadiq is, for instance. Probably Ka'adilam would be his best bet. Um, that would, and we can get to that, but that would really depend on right. whether Anwar sees him as a threat or as useful. But at least then he could run still in Sengabulo in the same constituency in which he's been trying to build up his brand. Although that would mean displacing, you know, right. um, oh, existing that's, PKR that's so, members. so much in there. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. You sent a question in advance. I had hours to think about No, no, no. That's, that's fantastic. So, so firstly, why why would Pakatan Harapan or PKR be the natural choice and why not uh, PN? Why not Bersatu, which is AMNO 2.0 or AMNO 3.0, right? And secondly, yes, you mentioned uh, whether Anwar would see him as a threat, right? Then what about the, the other people who are waiting in line as well, like people like Rafizi? Would they be too pleased? As in genuine question, would they be pleased having him, somebody of his stature in the party or would they see, see him as a threat internally as well? I think both. I think he could bring in votes. He could possibly bring in seats. He would allow them to attract Malay voters, which they've wanted. And, you know, we, again, something we can come back to, Pakistan has not been excessively right. consistent in its alliances and so forth. So the sort of ideological divide might not be a, a huge deal. In terms of Versace, though, I think the issue is pass. I really can't see his fitting well there or being able to rise. And even you know, I have my own doubts, which I'm sure others also have, about whether um, Bersatu will be able to maintain its supremacy in terms of leadership right. to be passed in the long term if Prikatan sustains itself. And so I just, that really just doesn't seem to be a good fit for him. And in some ways, some of those in Bersatu are kind of, yeah. are, are so old style um, now that that also may not right. be a, a comfortable home for him. Um, and so I think it's really, if Versace moves out on its own, away from PAS, then perhaps, but then also right. there's no future. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard choice. In terms of Ka'adilan, I do think, you know, Anmar would probably right. have some doubts that he's PM, <laughs> that's what he wanted, so he can now be gracious. Um, I think you're right that those like Rafizi would probably push back, but that might be for Anmar a way of splitting right. the opposition to him or the, the upstarts, so maybe there's some strategy there. Um, so it's really a question of, Kajilan is known for being very much on my right. vehicle that he has a strong control over. So to some extent, it may not matter that much if there's grumbling amongst the next ranks of leaders. Um, and in, to an extent, it's a better fit for him. Uh, not, not entirely. He's still right. he's very much a creature of Amno in all sorts of ways. But right. so are many in, in Kajilan, especially with this sort of removal of some some of the older multiracial right, parts right, right. the Oh, yeah. Days. Thank you for that. that. That was really useful. So you mentioned a word that people always associated, or at least they used to associate with Khairi a lot, which is cocky, right? Uh, and he has he has crossed swords with so many. And even if you look at his uh, earlier days, right? Uh, early days as a minister or even a, an Amno backbencher and the way he crossed swords with Anwar in parliament, right? It was beyond the level of yeah. uh, the, the usual combative. It seems like there's something deeper there, right? So is it, is it possible yeah. for... I mean, of course, Anwar and Mahade did, did align uh, and they did put aside their differences temporarily. So it, it is everything's possible, I guess, in politics. Yeah, exactly. So it went, <laughs> it, that was also inevitable, right? So, but do you think there's, 
I'm reading too much into it, or do you think it's very easy, or it's easier for, it's relatively easy for KJ and Anwar just to put aside their differences and say, yeah, we both need each other? Um, I think as a strategy. So I think KJ still wants to be the next PM. It might be that he's willing to adjust the path that he takes to get there. Um, and so Anwar would probably need to accept that this is somebody who really expects to be the next PM. So then the issue may not be whether Anwar himself is unsafe because right, 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 he's right. already there. Right. So um, I still stick by my, my early theory. If you have heard that, you know, the solution to some of the earlier impasse might have been. Let I agree. I feel like Malaysia yeah, yeah. needed. So, I feel like so Malaysia needed. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Just to, so I, I, I may be over, you know, overly optimistic and right. like, hey, we, that one off. we can move on now. Um, but um, so I don't think Kyrie really gains anything by trying to to upset mm. Anwar's leadership at this point, you know, in the sense that that is what is holding the coalition with Sahid, certainly. So that's what's keeping Pakistan in power. In fact, I mean, another angle that I, I really don't honestly know how to think through is how the coalition shifts the possibilities for whether whether KJ could enter Pakatan, you know, just because they're now in alliance with Umno. Um, it might be that that's, that that's a power play by Pakatan and therefore Pakatan will do it. But who's, right. who knows what Kyrie himself wants. But, but I do think that Anwar might think, all right, this admitting this person might right. upset Rafisi's chances of being next PM or, or any number of other possibilities. <laughs> but um, would probably, you know, have the charisma to pull it off right. and that he and Rafizi could duke it out. Um, right. so I don't think it really threatens Anwar himself to the same extent that it would were this story right. days of Anwar and Osman, you know, were he entering when Anwar was not yet at the helm, but Anwar really does pull the strings within the, within the party. And as we've just seen within Umno, pulling the strings within the party really lends some potency. And there are aspects of Kaadilan's structure that are directly modeled on Umno's, you know, Anwar, like KJ, Anwar is a product right. of Umno, you know, it's been a longer time away, but at the same time, that same sense of this is my party. Right. So basically, because Anwar is already PM, he doesn't have to worry about a younger upstart, or <laughs> if you can call KJ that, uh, upsetting his, uh, his, <laughs> his, uh, his position, right? Okay, okay, got it. So I mean I think that's a good segue into the into the second question, right? So it seems like what is uh, holding the unity government not no it seems Amno is crucial to this to Anwar getting a majority, right? And and it's not just Amno, yeah. it's Zahid being extremely crucial in that. So it it benefits Anwar, right? That there is no contest for the party election uh, for for the party presidency, or how how do you see that? I I actually think. I, I think he would be, I think this might be one of those areas in which what benefits Anwar personally may not be what benefits the party as a whole. So to some extent, yes, Anwar's connection seems to be by all accounts with Sahid personally. And I have no, no insider knowledge of that. I just saw right. the rumors come to life with the Alliance right. and therefore believe them perhaps to be true. Um, so to have Zahid out could, to some extent, imperil that connection. On the other hand, Umno has nothing to lose by staying in right. government and everything to gain by staying ah, in right. government at this point. They've already, 
you know, backtracked right. on their principles by joining with DAP. Now they, they don't gain anything by storming off in a huff because reformists come into power. The, the reformist central claim is that this should be a different sort of party that is less, you know, from, from Kyrie's perspective, certainly it's that it should be less right. the nationalist has been saying that since, you know, 2018. So, so I don't think it would imperil the coalition to have Zahid out of the top part, the, the top spot. At the same time, I think it would actually help Pakatan to have, have a, a not Zahidist UMNO as their partner. So I think part of the issue with forming the government as they did, you know, part of it is joining forces with UMNO, which has never been Pakatan's, you know, close friend. Um, but I think the big the more problematic thing in my view was actually the inclusion of Zahid, just because of right. so much of the level of personalization, uh, the sort of metonymy of Amno equals Zahid. You know, right. vote for KJ is <laughs> vote for Zahid, therefore don't vote for right. KJ. As he himself has said on many occasions now, right. he got, you know, no KJ, but <laughs> yeah. yes, Zahid flipped the scales. So, and, and it wasn't just KJ. I mean, it, it so much seems to revolve around these key personalities. But in that sense, I think Pakatan would be helped by being able to show that they had actually somehow helped continue the path toward reform and UMNO. They then still have this alliance with a Malay party, which can bring in votes, but it's a right. less Zahidi right. <laughs> Malay party. So less of that corruption, you know, tinge, less of the old guard tinge. Um, right. Of course, much might depend on who was actually elected. You know, the fact that there would be a contest doesn't mean it would be KJ. I right. mean, Hisham would have at least as strong a bid, if not exactly. a stronger and, and one. So, even yeah. while the the coalitions were being negotiated, right? And it was clear that Hishamuddin, for instance, he said, no, I know I don't know the AP, right? And he was one of those name and shamed uh, eventually. And Ismail Sabri also, he was a bit lukewarm, right? In his, yeah. So um, yeah. Would, would that really hold true, what, what, what you just said? Because Amno is true that Amno doesn't have anything to lose, but they could also form government yeah. with another coalition, right? They could easily be part of another governing coalition. I th think the same considerations that came into play to make that unlikely this time would still remain an issue. So if you have PAS, Brasatu, and Amno, and PAS is by far, far then the, the, the strongest party, right. I think PAS forms the government. So I don't think it really helps Amno. It doesn't give them um, much advantage in terms of position, and it makes it harder for them to distinguish themselves. So within Pakatan, now that they've already, I mean, they all. Right this, you know, disrespect for DAP and definite lack of intent yeah. to form a coalition. Zahid no less than anybody else. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't a foregone conclusion by any stretch. But they have a distinctive right. niche within Pakistan. Right, right, they right. are the party that right. blocks the green. The value add is higher and, in, know, in, for Amno. Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. In Versace, they're one of, mm. or in, in Purikatan, they're one of three main right, Malay right. parties okay. and not the biggest. Um, the only thing is that then Versatu and Amno might just, you know, collapse into each other, which seems kind of likely, except then what right, happens with right. leadership so, and all of so that. So in, in essence, this was actually a move that will hurt the coalition government, you think? The fact uh, Amno blocking the, the contest for the top? I think so. Yeah, I think that's something, it'll be interesting to see the state elections, but since they are, since Pakatan and BN are running together for the state elections rather than separately, and it's, you know, it's, I'm sure that'll be largely the sharing out seats, but my guess is they'll, they'll campaign together to form state governments that could drag down both parties. So the fact that I don't think anything about this, um, this leadership strategy in UMNO helps UMNO, 
I could be wrong, but I mean, there are probably some branches in which it does, but I think overall, it's just not a strong move for UMNO and it won't help to woo back voters who may have defected to Brasatu, not out of a desire necessarily for political Islam, but for a desire, out of a right. desire for a Malay party that's not right. Sahid's Malay party. So I don't think any of this helps UMNO and therefore it now much right. more directly hurts Pakistan. Thank you so much. And, and you mentioned something that I find that many, uh, many analysts have seem to neglect or or they, they just that they just assume the green wave was just about a rise of political Islam and there's there's that there's that as well. But yeah. there's also just we want Amno just not this leadership, right? Which is similar right. to twenty eighteen as well, right? Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Right. I, to me that's the more compelling message. I mean if you look at the data on pass votes specifically and pass support yeah, right. it's increased, but not that dramatically, like for PAS itself, you know, just in terms of sentiment and political Islam. So, I, I mean, PAS had been making headway beyond the northeast and the east coast in areas of Selangor and in areas, you know, in, in some other communities um, in Peninsula Malaysia. But at the same time, it, it's not as though there's been a sudden, right. <laughs> you know, that was finally taken off in the way it never had before right. or anything like that. Like, right. It's not a huge ideological shift that happened overnight and nobody noticed. Right. The polls two weeks before didn't even catch it because it was so quick. <clears throat> no, I mean, this is, it's, I think it's more accurately read as a reflection of the same thing we saw sequentially through the last several elections, which is the decline and right. secular decline in support for UMNO. Um, in conjunction with the rise of major corruption charges and that sort of thing. Um, and so in that sense, I, I, I generally do think right. it's a teal wave rather than a green wave. Um, but, but I do think among younger voters, certainly, there has been an increase in support for PAS specifically. Um, and again, in some communities. And if PAS does well and or if UMNO does poorly, then that can really set in. And then, you know, there's not, there's not always, as you certainly would know, you know, just from studying these parties, there's not always right. a dramatic gap between what PAS wants in governing and policy right. and what UMNO or any other exactly. nationalist Malay-based party wants as well. I mean, yes, there may be a greater emphasis on Islam, but you know, apart from a few policies that PAS right. notably did not push for when it was in government, right. there isn't right. a right. huge Exactly. No, but I, I, I completely agree with your analysis. But I think it's the less sensationalist claim, right? As opposed to, yeah, yeah, which is, yeah. Which is yeah. what uh, was propagated by. Yeah, yeah. Boring. But, but I, I, I'm completely on board with you. I, I, I agree with you. So, okay, so uh, again, that's a, that's a good segue. So the, the unity government, and, and you talked about this, right? You talked about how AMNO has completely basically, I mean, it has for its supporters and based on its own claims in the past, it has essentially sold out, right? Quote, unquote, by by being in this uh, government. And of course, Zaid uh, later on said that, oh, we never hated the AP. We never really hated the AP. Mahade right. <laughs> indoctrinated. Right. It was a secret crush all along. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that was hilarious, right? But uh, that is definitely true of yeah, Amno. Yeah. But wouldn't you say that was true of uh, Keadilan, uh, Pakatan, uh, Pakatan Harapan, the AP Keadilan as well. Yeah. And even during the campaign, Hairi was, and he posted this even uh, right uh, after the, the results were out as well. He posted a video of him saying on the campaign trail, don't criticize me so much. Your leader, and he's saying to the Amno crowd, your leader is the one yeah. who will have a deal with Anwar Ibrahim. So it was sort of 
open secret, right? That yeah. that was going to happen, right? Even though yeah. everyone was dead. Yeah. Said was denying, Anwar was denying, but KJ called them out early on. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. uh, isn't this a betrayal of the people, you think, on, on the part of Anwar and Pakatan Harapan? I mean, it may be that the ends justify the means, but the election was a rejection of Amno, clearly. But then they became the kingmakers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we can come back to the end, but I'm not sure right. what the ends are at this point. But I do think it, it is, so there were rumors all through the campaign that there were these secret negotiations between Zahid and Anwar. And at first I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> and I thought, hey, you never know. And then at the end, I was, like, no, I was a ridiculous one for not believing that. So, um, so, but I do think the fact that, and I think this is why it's problematic that Amno, well, one of many reasons, but a key reason electorally why it's problematic that Amno is not allowing any sort of renewal within the party or a contest for the top spots. And that the person in Amno who now is at the top of the party remains Zahid. That right. is not Ismail Sabri, who is deputy prime minister, despite all that stuff right. about, oh, right, right. Ismail Sabri will definitely be our PM. Right. Not Zahid. He's just the party president. Like, no, no, that was clearly Falter <laughs> Dash. Like that didn't, you know. So, um, so I do think it is, it is a betrayal of voters. I mean, voters rejected Amno. That was unambiguous. They did not vote Amno into power. They, right. you know, Zahid nearly lost his right. seat, which is unheard of for right. a party president. Right. I mean, Najib right. could keep sailing on through. Um, and so there is not, there was not a vote of support for Zahid or for Amno. And yet here they are in government and he's deputy prime minister, which is right. really a yeah. problematic uh, position. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, carry on, carry on, yeah. Many, yeah, oh, sorry. I mean, in many ways, it, it, it does betray, you know, Amno's, claims to dislike DAP. And of course, a lot of the reasons that they gave for that are specious, you know, DAP, communist, anti-Islam, and so on. So, you know, maybe it's healthy that they've moved past that. Um, but I think it's it's on both sides. I mean, this was not what Pakatan voters were asking for either. Um, in fact, quite definitively not yeah. voting for. Um, yeah, and, and I guess the, the, the betrayal was compounded when Zaid became DPM, right? It's one thing to have Amno inside, yeah. and you have somebody like Ismail Sabri, who is much more popular, he's much more amenable to the people and people yeah. say, oh, this is an acceptable choice, right? But then to have Zahid there, yeah. it seems, and, and people were saying Anwar didn't have a choice. Did he really not have a choice? If he told Zahid, you know, just step aside for a while, you know, yeah. just be a normal MP or what. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there could have been more done, right? Yeah. I, I tend to think that as well. And I, you know, have friends and colleagues have said, no, no, you're right, that he has no choice. He has to give him that position. That's what holds it together. That's what convinces um, yeah. like, yeah, I, don't, I, I still don't buy it. Just because I hate himself again, right. standing in for all that right. bad in Umno, you know, and, and for good reason, like that wasn't a totally right. surprising position to be in. So no, my own take is that it would have been, it would have shown at least some extent of internal consistency for Umno which again, had been saying all along through the campaign, you're not voting for Zahid, you're voting right. for Ismail Sabri. Ismail Sabri is right. And so right. now they basically yeah, said, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. through you, you know, you're right, voting for Amno, right, right. which you didn't think you were, sorry. Um, and you're right. also voting for Zahid, which you definitely didn't think you were doing. And so, you know, if we were to replay the election now, I think that would be, they, they might get even fewer than the few seats they got. So it's just, to me, that that was, I, I understand the logistics of you build a coalition in which everyone has an interest in its stability, it's it's sufficient, you know, just right. Pakatan plus East Malaysia yeah. had enough seats, but it doesn't have a legitimacy, it's not going to be stable. So I can understand the logic behind it. Um, and yet, 
that is a, right. a heat piece. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you as well. So I, and I also found it, and you know, we both of us are you more so than I, I mean, we have a lot of friends in Malaysian civil society, right? And, and I noticed that, um, civil society was also, um, is I don't know whether complicit is too strong a word, but when when the the coalition was being uh, rumored, there were there was already a lot of preparation. Uh, I think uh, people were writing op ads, giving commentaries, saying that oh, it's okay for Zaid yeah. to be DPM, it's okay for this. And I, I I don't know how did it turn so fast? Like just a few weeks ago, it was about rejecting Amno and the corruption yeah. of Zaid. How did oh he's actually an okay yeah. choice to be DPM? Yeah. I I don't quite know. I think a lot of it is um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to psychoanalyze Hong Kong somebody with zero expertise in doing that even for humans in party. But there seems to be this sense in Pakistan that right. you know they're lucky to be alive, you know, and that if somebody's willing to play with them, then they're gonna play with them, you know. So, so um, which I mean, humility can be a good thing, but in this case, it it seems a little over the top. So I, I I'm still remembering that you know the night of the election, I was watching the results with a group of political scientists and statisticians and so forth, you know, survey researchers. And we all just assume that Pakatan was forming the government. Right. You know, it just never, once you see right. that they have that many seats, right. even though, yeah, Pakatan has a few more, but, you know, right. come on, it's Pakatan. Who's going to work with them? And so it seems as though mm. that was Pakatan's thinking as well. Like that, <laughs> really, we still have a choice, you know. Where I just, I really didn't, it was, I think, like three or four in the morning that, you know, one of these colleagues said, well, actually, they're right. talking about maybe forming the government, right. you know, it's, it's like, whoa. Um, and so, um, so in that sense, it might be that Pakistan has, and including its supporters in civil society, has so deeply internalized mm. this mm. sense mm. of inferiority. In yeah, yeah, of course. Not that they're bad people or bad right, parties, right, but right. that they're never going to be popular, you know, um, that they, that they'll, that they'll, you know, join whoever Sandbox wants to invite them in or whatever <laughs> the correct, you know, silly analogy would be. But, um, but it's just whereas Amno doesn't have that same sense yeah. of difference. They feel entitled to be in government and to do so on their own terms. And so I think it could be that Amar, it does seem that Amar in this case could have legitimately said, no, actually, Amno, we don't technically need you. You are a kingmaker, but you're not the only kingmaker. We have actually another option here. Um, but he didn't. Um, and so it does make his position probably more stable, at least in the short term. I do think, though, as I said, that it, it undercuts the party in as much as it shows a lack of principles for Pakistan right. and Thank you. both. I think that, that was an excellent piece of analysis. So speaking of principles, um, Anwar as finance minister, that's another one that they sort of, <laughs> yeah, and that was an, it yeah. seemed like an, another unnecessary one as well. Uh, then Nurul Iza as the yeah. advisor. Yeah. So uh, in the parlance of Gen Z, right? So yeah. do you think she's a Nippo baby? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So many in Malaysia. I mean, so this is. So I actually, um, this will be a very American thing to do, but you know, I, I own that identity. So I tried. You know, my first thought when I heard about this was, well, she is very qualified. But then I thought, all right. So I was really angry when right. Trump brought his family into right. office with him as unpaid advisors because right. nepotism. And so this is not different from that. She is indeed qualified, and it's, right. it's perhaps to her disadvantage that having lost her seat yeah. and having her father as prime minister, she now is essentially shut out of government because to enter would be having a family governing right. rather than a person. 
And so that what makes it challenging is that this is, you know, her advisory role is not unusual in Malaysia. We have at this point such a growing trend toward dynastic politics. Right. If you think of, you know, the DAP Lim family of, you know, how many right. more members might enter in time? Um, not unlike, you know, there might be some family <laughs> financing. We we'll, you know, won't go into details, but it's possible, right? Um, but, um, but certainly, I mean, there was such pushback against right. the extent to which Rosma was Najib's confidant and advisor. So the fact that, you know, Rosma is wholly unqualified, Nuraliza is qualified, that is a difference, but she is still a family member. And generally, you know, yeah. even in my university, I have to sign, you know, with all yeah. the conflict of interest statements. You know, the fact that I'm not bringing in family members and the fact that they're getting paid or not yeah. is something of a, of a red herring, especially given the structure exactly. of the political economy in Malaysia, right. in which the money isn't coming through your salary. It's through everything else and the connections and all. And I'm not saying that Nuraliza right. or Anwar is necessarily corrupt. I have no idea. I'm assuming not. But, um, but it's just that it's the fact that she's not taking a salary, that just means she has enough income from other sources or exactly. enough accumulated wealth that she doesn't need. Right. So that, that itself is not, not what determines whether this is right or not. So no, I do think it's problematic. Um, and I do think that this um, increasing trend towards dynastic politics is probably not the healthiest thing for Malaysia in terms of having a more inclusive polity in which all feel that they can advance. And to some extent, it's also I, I would think that strategically, assuming Nuralisa does intend to remain in governance um, and to run for office again, particularly since she had made a principled stance against her father and, yeah. and other boomers of his generation um, remaining in power, I think it actually behooves her not to be seen as yeah. a Nipo baby, but rather to, to continue on her own with the sorts of you know anti-poverty policies and so forth that she'd been doing before perhaps right. Rafiz's camp, perhaps outside Pakatan, you know, altogether, but just to build up her own identity. Since right. she did enter politics as the daughter of Anwar, this is her chance now to kind of break further away from that when she's already cut a lot of those strings. I was really surprised to see her come back into that fold and then sort of sully yeah. her reputation, I think, a little bit. Like it's not a not necessarily damaging yeah, in the I, long term. I, I, I agree with you because I actually like her and I think she's one of the, as far as Nepo babies go, she's one of the more qualified ones yeah. and clearly, <laughs> clearly intelligent um, and so on. And she's not the yeah, only one yeah, you mentioned, yeah. right? And there's Hishamuddin, you know, uh, Najib yeah. himself, you know, yeah, and yeah, uh, so yeah. he's, uh, she's by no yeah, means yeah, the only yeah. offender. But yeah. it seems so strange that this is such an unnecessary move, even if they wanted to still keep her in the public eye, right? There's just so many other ways to do to do it, right? Exactly. A state, state seat or senator yeah, even, yeah, right? Yeah. But this was so unnecessary. And I think, yeah, I think yeah, the, exactly. Tank right, which I've not did for so a few years, ways. right? Uh, yeah. yeah, so, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And policymaking right. is so opaque right. in Malaysia anyway. She could have just as much influence, but without having this, like, without right, right, right. KKN, KKN, yes. <laughs> that right. sort of specter of Corruption, cronyism, and nepotism. Yeah. More right. than it and, already is. And again, like, PKR, yeah, its yeah. own, his, his whole uh, uh, mantra and its whole uh, ideology or so-called moral justification is anti-corruption and justice, right? So it goes yeah. against everything that... Yeah, uh, that yeah, uh, yeah. they they purport to to right. stand for. So I I I thought it was unnecessary. I'm surprised right. she initially took that that position as well. Uh, but I guess I don't know, I don't know. Maybe uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe they were all they are also thinking. Oh, we don't know how long we are going to be in power. Is that is that yeah? <laughs> that also could be. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't, and I haven't asked her about it, so I don't know her thinking on it. But yeah, um, I'm sure one of the people listening can ask her probably personally. Right. So why did you take it? But I'm really curious. Um, because yeah, it just it seemed, especially since right. he wasn't his biggest supporter anyway, uh, in terms of his position within the party. So I, I don't yeah. know. I'm yeah. It and it, it I, I think the, yeah, this idea of the extent to which there is is increasingly pervasive again if not nepotism then the dynastic leanings within Malaysian right. politics right. that's across right. all parties right. so you mentioned Najib of course he's as you know <laughs> <laughs> not to be the son of a prime minister and still managed to be prime minister right, or, anything, right. or you know Mahathir's family or and and of course that then because of the nature again of the political economy Malaysia that then right. spans both business and politics and those become even more closely intertwined when we have you know, almost, but right. not quite Philippine-style family networks, you know, that, that that really start to control areas in this sort of warlord phenomenon that we do also have in Malaysia. Um, right now, what keeps that a little bit off balance is probably the fact of an unstable partisan system that, you know, you can have an Amna warlord, but if they lose their seat, then that, that position has less staying power than a Philippine-style dynastic politics where they just won't lose their seat. But at the same time, it doesn't really seem to behoove Pakatan to make that right. more visible right. work and, and than it already your, your point about the not taking salary uh, thing being a red herring, oh, that's, that's a great point, right? Because, I mean, it's about access, access to power and people have to yeah. go through you and carry yeah. favors and so on. Yeah. Just the way the political economy yeah. structure right. there, yeah. Thank you. And it re reinforces which people right. have the wherewithal right. exactly. to take yes. jobs. <laughs> yeah. so actually, that's actually something thing we to need stress. to ask also. Right? How is it that can, you can do a job? Which, <laughs> yeah. Anwar was also, yeah. you remember, yeah, yeah. he was the economic advisor to the to the Menteri Besar Selangor, yeah. right? And he, he took a salary of one ringgit as well. Yeah, there's a lot of... A lot of strange yeah, things yeah. that, that yeah, go on. Yeah. So, uh, do you think Anwar's government will last till the next election? <laughs> that's, a, that's probably the hardest thing to answer now. Um, so, when is the next election? <laughs> that's one way to make sure he does. <laughs> I mean, that was so much fun last time. Let's do it again. Yeah. Um, so, um, so um, I, I think there isn't a viable alternative. So I think that will hold it. But this actually is, it gets back to sort of something I mentioned earlier is, you know, whether it, you mentioned something that that is worth the trade-off. So right now, what they've succeeded in doing, and, and I've complained about this publicly in the past, <laughs> so, you know, I don't mean that to make this a hobby horse, but what they've succeeded in doing is taking power, you know, this, this awkward coalition. And the goal seems to be just to stay in power, not to right. govern. There there are still no goals. There is no, you know, right. there was that committee supposedly formed to look at their manifestos right, right, right. and see, wait, what was it that we promised again? What do we have in common? There actually yeah. is a lot that's in common across the manifestos for, for not just BN and uh, PH, but also for the, right. the East Malaysian parties and coalitions that are part of this. Um, and yet, they're still echoing what happened for the last two iterations of the government post-GE14. Uh, there still right. isn't any sense of like, what is the agenda? For what are they governing? And so, yes, they may stay in power because once you're there, there's a degree of entropy, I think. And and so you're, you know, they can they can cut off some challenges. And more to the point, if Brikatan couldn't form the government initially, there's nothing to say that magically they'll be able to now. In other words, there becomes a sort of vested interest. Amno is already 
you know, backed up, down on its anti-DAP principles and joined DAP. Pakistan has joined Zahid. You know, the, the lofts are sunk right. costs already. And so th there's all the parties involved have in the government have a vested interest in staying there. And there isn't a viable alternative. The, the rumblings are in Sabah, possibly Sarawak, if, if that then bleeds over, could perhaps destabilize to a certain extent, but not dramatically. And that seems to be hurting Grisati more than anybody else. So, yeah, I think that they can probably stay in power. Right. But I'm just not sure what they'll do with that power. Um, I don't foresee, you know, a major reformist initiative or anything like that. It'd be nice if at least some things that are common to the platforms go through. But there just doesn't seem to be much of a will to test, you know, how how strong is consensus on policy? You know, will it's one thing to be in government together, but are they willing to share credit on whatever the government achieves beyond some basic, right. you know, giving people money type right. things, which are popular <laughs> all around? Um, and saying that um, even to say, okay, people can't withdraw more from their, you know, retirement funds. That's that's just a, you know a a good moment of fiscal probity to say, you know, people need those funds for something other than right now. Um, and so. I I'm just not. I think they can stay in power. Right, I'm not sure how right. The government Thank you. Be. So so there's a comment here by by Kasra before I follow up on that. So, uh, Kasra said that changes need more power. But appointing his daughter really raises concern. It's between having faith on Anwar movement, especially for Sabahans like us. And I guess this is the bind that a lot of yeah. relations find themselves in. Right. Uh, on one hand, uh, they do not like the other side. On the other, you see your side do yeah. all these sorts of things that you really cannot justify. And there is also a sense of right. you know, exasperation. It seems like in the comment here, it's, there's a sense of exasperation on uh, on the part of those who are supporting Pakatan as well. It's, yeah. and, and they are saying, basically, we have no choice. Right? What can we do? Yeah. 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 So. Right. And that, that unfortunately is, that pretty much sums right. it up. If you are a non-Malay voter or, I mean, if you're Sabahan or, or from Sarawak in Malaysia, there's something of an alternative in as much as that you at least have the bulwark of joining a state-based party, a state-based coalition, and asserting somewhat greater sway that way. But I do think, and this may be part of the strategy, that the power to exact um, benefits that, or to extract benefits that Sabah or Sarawak, um, GPS and DRS in particular, but also Warasan, could have exercised vis-a-vis -vis Pakatan is diminished by the fact of they're sharing kingmaker status, the fact that BN is there as well. So, you know, at the same right. time, right. yeah, what, what what option do they have? They won't have greater sway really necessarily with Bikatan. And then PAS, right. again, is an, is an issue. PAS just yeah. is not strong in East Malaysia. Full stop. Um, and so, yeah. but if you are a Chinese voter anywhere in Malaysia, which, you know, the majority of Bikatan's right. voters are non-Malay, what choice do they have? And so that, but it's like, that's not a, an empowering, uplifting right. way to proceed in politics, right? Um, it's just the, the realities in many ways of the Malaysian situation. But then there is this moment in which one could imagine this especially multiracial, balanced, <laughs> I don't think it's a word, multiracial coalition, if we include both PH and uh, BN, actually trying to shift those terms of politics. And it, I just don't right. see much, right. okay. much will to There's do There's a so. question here by how, how does Anwar's appointment of his daughter show a lack of trust and unity in the cabinet? And that's why he had to get his trusted partners to office. That's a good question. Right, right, right. 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 Yeah. 
And I've heard the same about having Zahid as DPM. It's just, you know, and Anwar on on our himself as finance minister, that who else could he, you know, he can't yeah. give it to a BN person. Yeah. He can't give it, you know, it's like, who do you give that to if you give it to Rafizi? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty lame answer. I mean, it suggests, yeah, a lack of trust, a lack of belief in succession within a party and building up the ranks versus personalization. Um, it echoes Mosley's, you know, saying, yeah. oh, only yeah. I can be president of my university or yeah. whatever the role was, or chancellor, you know while also being yeah. education minister. No, that's just flat out wrong. Exactly, that exactly. That's the word, yeah. He's a nice guy, but still, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is right. so just fundamentally anti-democratic. The essence is supposed to be that it is not about any one royal-like being, but rather right. the will of the people. And of course, that's, that's naive and all that. But no, I think it does suggest a lack of trust or a lack of close right. confidence, perhaps, within the party um, perhaps he also thought that that would that picking his daughter would maybe be a way around some of the issues of is this a person who's associated with my party with this other party? Um, the other, but he brought in other advisors who I think seem fine. I mean, so far as I can tell. Um, so yeah, I do think to some extent it is this idea of trying to get your close allies around you for fear of a push of some sort um, or just a lack of trust in yeah things, so i need to do this because there's nobody else for the job sit every dictator yeah. ever right like you can justify yeah. anything <laughs> you can justify exactly. anything exactly. with that right? exactly. and the hubris in that kind of statement right yeah but, right yeah but that but that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and, it's like, well, and you had it's not up. if like, yeah. was was formed <laughs> five years ago like if I know, Bersatu maybe has that excuse, right? right but right. but PKR has right. been around for right. two and a half decades. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes, I mean, you know, maybe there's a woman that you haven't noticed. <laughs> Other than your daughter, there may be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right, right, right. right. But, but it, it is, uh, so Nurul Izzah probably, most likely she wouldn't be in politics, if not because of her father. But it's a shame that she will always be judged against against right. this as well, because I think she is, yeah. She is super. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I right. think she's really made an effort to carve out, right. partly by vocally pushing back, but she has made an effort to carve out a right. policy profile for herself that is specifically distinct. And so this, it doesn't trash right. that, but it yeah. doesn't really. So I, I had another question to follow up uh, on your previous answer, and so you don't see any opening for basically Anwar's government is quite safe. What about? statutory declarations right which doesn't involve this i'm no people leaving the party but they are pledging yeah. support to another which because that one right. it seems like it's constitutionally viable so right. do you see that happening if let's say hishamuddin and ismail say they're tired of zahid yeah. but they're not going to leave amno they're just going to pledge support to a muhyiddin or something like that well, it would, it would still be, face a constitutional challenge. And so it seems like it might right, be viable, right, but right. it's not really clear what that means um, right. in part, because what does it what does it mean to say, look, I'm not going to leave right, the party, right. but I'm going <laughs> to give my support to the leader of another yeah, party. Yeah, 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 exactly. kind of leaving your party. So because UMNO would be hard exactly. not to oust them yeah. from the party were they to do that. And at that point, they lose their seat. So that means that the only thing that's holding them in their parliamentary seat is UMNO's right. desire not to lose its role in the government. Um, but it basically, my sense is that that would just sink the government because they couldn't, they couldn't really hold on to members who say, I'm an UMNO member, right. but my PM is going to be the head of Versatu. 
don't kick me out of the party because then the government will collapse. And, you know, it's, I just, I don't see that as really viable given the anti-hopping law. The anti-hopping law is yeah. not um, a great solution yeah. to weak party institutionalization. <laughs> it is a pretty lame response, you know, it's just, right. but it is right, 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 right. holding the government together right now. So I, I can critique it and also say, yeah. probably I was wrong about that one. That is <laughs> definitely a good thing to have right after the elections. But, um, but at the same time, what would be better in the long term is if it is not so easy just to say, my party is so similar to this yeah. other party that I can just jump back and forth based on the shifting yeah. tides, because that is the case right now. But um, so I don't think the statutory declarations for, for two reasons. One, it, it because of the anti-hopping law, it really does run the risk of sinking the government. Um, and I don't know the minutia. There's so many of these, you know, odd things that party members right. in Malaysia right, or right. MPs have to swear to, you know, right, and pass of course right. oh, you know, you'll have yeah. to divorce your wife or whatever. <laughs> like these really sexist things as well. But then, but then you have these, you know, just these things of right. what what sort of loyalty you have to pledge, which we know was an issue um, for UMNO as well in terms of pledging to support the party president. So my guess is that would actually be something that could, based on what they've signed, might automatically ask them from the party. In which case you trigger again, you know, an election. So, so there's that part, but there's also to rely on S, on statutory declarations. Really asks the Agong to take, to continue with the role that he has been taking, but to be more proactive in doing so. To take, not to wait until a government has collapsed or a government is waiting to form, but instead to help to precipitate the collapse of government. And I, yeah. I mean, the Agong is wildly popular. Yeah. I think his you yeah. know, his role in helping to get a government set right, right, around probably right. only strengthens right, his popularity. Right, exactly. Undemocratic though that is, yeah. it's still this sort of balancing force. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure that that would be a wise move or something the Afghan right. would necessarily right. want to do or the Council of Rulers would want to do of precipitating the collapse of a government by saying, you know what, there is a government, but we're yeah. going to start taking statutory declarations to overturn this government. Maybe at the state level, right, not. Right. I, I, just, I, I think, I think uh, you, you brought the Agong in, right? And, and it's, uh, it's quite extraordinary, right? Even people who are not necessarily pro-monarchy, right? They appreciated his role over the past yeah. two, three years, right? <laughs> Even though, yeah, as, as yeah. you say, like, it's undemocratic, yeah, yeah. Right? like him suggesting this, for instance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the referee. the referee. Exactly. You know, it's like, we've got right, these right. people, like, everybody says right, they right. can right. form a government. Everyone right, exactly. Can, so he's the referee. Who do we go to? They can't <laughs> yeah. go directly to God, so you go to the <laughs> Yeah, some people claim they can. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. Right, but, so yeah, by, by, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I use the English term instead because if I don't say Allah, yes. then it's not the most helpful. So, so, so you're right. I think that's the. Uh, they, he was seen as the referee, right? And and that was. And, and in some ways, yeah. especially yeah. early on, right? He was very restrained in his. I can imagine somebody else or yeah. other yeah. sultans would have been more. Yeah. Uh, would have exercised more executive discretion. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I would imagine yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, or exactly. Or their own role more instead exactly. of trying to keep it a exactly. little bit more yeah, yeah, in yeah. the background. Right, right, right. Exactly. Like yeah. So really there are two questions out. here uh, by Arun, uh, yeah. and then we'll we'll wrap up. So the first is, do you think that this this maneuvering and the perceptions that surround Anwar's cabinet it will actually directly impact his uh, ability to execute policy? And I think you sort of touch touch on that earlier, right? 
and saying what what is this government's plan now? It doesn't yeah. seem like that there's an actual plan. And secondly, how do you see this shaping Malaysian politics yeah. moving forward? Yeah. Okay. So these actually could be quite different, or I could link them. So I'm going to try to separate them more. But so in terms of the the maneuverings around the cabinet and policy, it's so hard to say. I mean, again, a key issue is I. I still don't know what, what the policies might be um, or if it's just maintaining the status quo. But for instance, will, will Pakistan's long-term agenda of institutional reform of civil liberties of all of that sort of stuff, some of which was put on hold already after GE14 with the entry of Versatu, some of it wasn't, will that come back? Will they push for things like, yeah, that Amna would also support it, like a political financing act. That could be a right. clear win. It would probably be watered down like the last version that almost went through parliament, which doesn't do a whole lot, but all right. parties support. Right. Perhaps we're to right now. So um, it's a good moment for it. But, you know, so at the same time, we haven't heard really much in the way of proposals or plans apart from the occasional sort of voice, you know, as a lady right. saying, oh, we'll separate finally the attorney general right. and the prosecutor and then crickets. You know, so, um, and there may be that there, it may be that there's more right. that's going on behind the scenes and I am far away. So fully aware that I may be missing things, but um, <laughs> I'm sure your, your <laughs> listeners will let you know if that's the case. But, um, <laughs> but um, so, but I do think it, to some extent this, this <laughs> as is the case always in Malaysia, a hand-picked cabinet of loyalists right. does make it easier to get things done. I was kind of concerned as I know some others were by the fact of who were given some of the portfolios, like, it's just such weird politics that something like, you know, Dr. Zul isn't right. the Minister of Health, but somebody who has right. no necessary experience in that area, I would have loved to see stronger, um, and not necessarily stronger, but just more experienced people in roles related to education in particular, just because that so much needs reform and could be an area of reform and could be could be bipartisan, you know, just Malaysia needs that. But of course, I'm totally right, biased right. as a, you know, professor, <laughs> but still... Um, and so, I mean, I, I wish the, the holders of those portfolios as well, but I, it's impossible to know what to expect because they're, they're so new. But um, so in terms of policymaking, it will help in terms of consensus. It may not help in terms of actually having ideas and expertise and a plan for what, should, what they should do. In terms of what this means for Malaysian politics moving forward, um, the others have, yeah, Ryu Chintong was saying long before the election, for instance, that this might be, you know, that what marks, starting from before this government, but Ismail Sabri's in particular, right. and the idea of a strong executive. And I think that is right. on balance just a plus for Malaysia. To have less executive centralization is good. Um, at the same time, in terms of party institutionalization and so forth, um, this is something I've been writing on, I think that the weaker party, so the parties themselves are weaker. There's less of a sense of what they represent, how one moves up in the party, you know, how differentiated they are, all of those things that define this is what Pakatan, this is what Pakatan stands for or what Ka'adilan stands right. for. This is what Amno stands for. Those are hard questions to answer now and to an extent that they haven't been in the past. And then the party system is also deinstitutionalized. We don't have a sense of these are the normal voters that vote for X or this is the level of volatility in the elections. Um, and so like predicting the next poll will be super hard. There was already this issue of how many will show up to vote when we have 2018 and all these previously unregistered voters now registered. But now we also have really unknown loyalties and probably a lot of disillusion with parties. And so that, that deinstitutionalization has a long-term effect and is directly the result of the developments in BN over the last really couple of decades at this point, but, but certainly the last, you know, since 
around 20, the last decade in particular, right. you know, basically as one MVP started ramping up around 20, what, 14, 15? But then um, also this this coalition government, which really suggests mm. it doesn't mm. matter who you vote for. Um, and so, um, so I think the long-term effects there could be really quite significant um, and not, you know, it doesn't, they could still be overcome. In other words, there may be a new um, equilibrium that, that settles in over time, but it's, I, I really can't imagine, and this, I hope this wasn't your next question, like what to expect for GE16. Right, right. Who will contest right, whom? Right. Who right. will, will they still be best buddies right. or will the divorce have really set in firmly? I mean, it was already messy enough to say, you know, pass and pass with Versace and then I'm going to separately to pretend that they had never liked each other, never liked they were in government yeah, yeah. together. You know, so um, so this is going to be really tricky, right. I think, to see. Thank you so forward. much. So that was the most Paul science part of the of the <laughs> party system <laughs> institutionalization. Yeah, and it. and it's interesting when you mention uh, the there seems to be a, a lack of clear uh, agenda or plans on the part of this government. As troubled as the Pakatan Harapan government under Mahade was, they still got a few things done, right? That you can say that. Uh, okay, this were this was significant achievements yeah. or at least attempts. Yeah, yeah, and and we haven't exactly. seen that yeah. kind of uh, will. Yeah. yeah, right, Even with right. The MOU under Ismail Sabri, I was kind of hoping that that might be the result. Would be you know another confidence and supply right. agreement because then at least you have an agenda. Right, right, right. It collapses if you don't pursue that agenda, and I think that was really what made you know okay so let's let's try to end on a positive note right so <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah the, the the entire thing has been demoralizing right from Zaid becoming dpm and and ph immediately when they got power you know there's a there's a saying right any person can stand adversity you want to test a person's character give that person power right the moment they got power they immediately yeah on a lot of things that they have been campaigning on for years. It's not like 10 years ago, like for decades, right? And, but okay, all those negatives aside, right? But yeah. would you say that this is a win for democracy and Malaysian voters have shown that Mahade was voted out. Uh, and I don't think he's, he's not popular suddenly with, at least with conservative Malays, right? And yeah. um, Kairi voted out, Nurul Iza voted out. I mean, Malaysians are really... Uh, not afraid to use the vote, and the fact that we have had two two transitions right. through elections, and of course, uh, in between, we had two two other prime ministers. Right, we had two transitions which right. went ahead without violence, which is, as you know, right. This is this is a remarkable achievement, right. but but right. maybe because uh, we we sort of we've we've seen a lot of a lot of elections happen in the West, and it's nondescript, and we tend to underestimate. Uh, the the significance of that right. in in Asia. So so would you say all in all, it was a win right. for democracy in Malaysia, or is that a bit of a stretch? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna separate that out. So democracy as a whole, so hard to say. I think actually the most encouraging aspect for me. So I mean, in terms of lack of violence, that of course is a good thing. There isn't a history of military involvement in Malaysia right. to the extent there is in like Indonesia, the Philippines. So right. in some ways it's less surprising, but right. that still is actually, it's actually a relief that the, the outside right. sort of non-party parties that get involved are mm. the, the rulers, but not the military. That is reassuring. But the biggest thing for me that gives some hope is the turnout, because there was strong reason to expect the turnout to right. be in, you know, 60%. 
or closer to 60% rather than over 70% as it was, both because of the new voters and again, previously unregistered voters. If you didn't bother to register why before, why would you bother to vote now? That, that was a, a real concern. But also because with two changes of government without elections and with these sort of, you know, sort of odd coalitions that were forming and that sort of thing, you know, Prikatan at the 11th hour, it wasn't clear to me that younger voters in particular, but not even just younger voters, would really see mm. a value to voting. And so the fact that there was still, in global terms, a really high rate of turnout, lower than is usual in Malaysia, but still higher right. than a lot were fearing, right. you know, not just political scientists. That to me was really encouraging because it suggests that despite it all, <laughs> Malaysians still see value to voting. And that that's important. And I hope that that can be maintained. Um, I, I'm not <laughs> sure what specifically will help Malaysia to maintain that. But I think, you know, there, there is interest in a lot of sort of civic education initiatives. There are a bunch of you know, right. young people who are pursuing those sorts of drives, not just amongst the converted, but also, you know, in the heartland of really why it matters to vote. The fact that there still is a strong opposition and that that, that opposition is a different opposition than previously, but is has a shadow cabinet, is really trying to organize itself, um, may want to do a little bit more to recruit women, for instance, and show that they, you know, they value that part of the population um, just in terms of in their visible ranks. Um, but um, I think that that actually ensures, especially since it is younger voters who are, again, increasingly inclined to shift toward PAS, that actually is a good thing for democracy in terms of supporting them, the idea of, okay, so the way that we would support our party is by voting. And so that to me is perhaps the part of democracy that remains strongest is the citizen participation. I hope that there is space within the current government for structured and meaningful participation from civil society, for instance, because that also can, can really deepen the sense of what it means to be a democracy in Malaysia, of the level of inclusivity, regardless of what happened. Like it shouldn't be the be all end all, who is in office, what parties are there, but also whose voices can be heard through other means. You know, democracy, political politics means more than just the election. And so there is this moment in which not just the children <laughs> of, of MPs and cabinet members, but others as well, might be able to help to set a policy agenda since the government needs right. one um, and really help to contribute to that. So all of those things give space for deepening and strengthening democracy and are plausible under the system in which there aren't a lot of clear vested interests. There isn't an agenda. So there's actually a fair amount of flexibility. Right. There isn't On that encouraging system. note, Professor Meredith Weiss, thank you so much for your time and for your insights. Was really a brilliant conversation. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, this Thank has been so fun. Much. Good night, everybody. <laughs> well, <laughs> bye bye. bye.